Hello and welcome to part six of this six-part series on dispelling all those myths about low-code. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, why not go back and listen from the beginning? Then, after you've done that, come back and join us. We'll be right here waiting for you. Well, Michael, this is the last episode. How does it feel? Honestly, a little bittersweet. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Is it because you'll miss me? No, it's because we're talking about another candy machine manufacturer. I should have guessed. So we were with the Willy Wonkers back in episode one, but we're with the Slugworths now? No, these guys are more the people Willy Wonka gets his parts from for his strange contraptions. Ah, the nuts and bolts that go into the WonkaVision set. There you go. The blade on the turbines that create bubbles for the fizzy lifting drink. The first example was fine. The cream in the... Okay. My name's Susan. Susan is Chief Technology Officer at an SME that helps the manufacturers we featured in our first episode, Candy Cane and Snowballs. Hold up. What's the name of Susan's company, Michael? Promise you won't laugh. Promise. It's Wonderworks. (laughs) Let me guess. Judging from how past episodes have gone, I'm guessing it's, I don't know, spelt with an X at the end? No, but it has a U in wonder, because the company's co-founder is German. So maybe it should be pronounced Wunder, like Wunderwerks. <laughs> promise you wouldn't laugh. In the years that I've been there, I have been, well, I would say persuading, but I guess pushing would be the truthful word. My organization is certain digital solutions. We've got a fully-fledged development team and a solid unit of technology-focused employees. We've built software and products that sell well, but it's hard to keep competitive and in the know when the goalposts are constantly shifting. It makes the whole thing more than complex. What are they manufacturing? Parts that go into the roller machines for the Candy Cane and Snowballs company in episode one. Interesting. I'm still waiting to hear if Susan will ever pronounce her company's name. Me too, actually. I do like the idea of low code, but this is going to sound weird, but hear me out. What I've heard is always so positive that it's the solution to all development. That sort of blanket positivity is what makes me wary. Is it vaporware? Is it going to be a bad long-term investment? My head is on the block for this, so I really need to know. Sounds like she's a little nervous about the marketing lingo. Yeah, and I understand. There are a lot of people who feel very strongly about low code, And they do a lot of work talking about it as the be-all, end-all of development. So after six episodes, it's not? Are you doing that thing teachers do where they say, okay, class, everything we taught you last year now needs to be unlearned? No, it's not about unlearning. It's just about a shift in mindset. I jumped on a call with Isaac Sakalik from our earlier episodes to help Susan out. Isaac, what would you say to Susan about the myth that she's heard that low-code is the answer to all development? What I like about the CTO is that she's open-minded, right? She's always looking for smarter, better, faster solutions. She understands it's key to compete today, that adopting new technology isn't always easy, but it's par for the course today. The reality is low-code has been around for actually a long time, right? I used low-code platforms going back to 2001. No team can keep up with all the skills and all the platforms that are really required to innovate and accelerate. We're adding new capabilities all the time. And this really creates a paradox for teams that have a history of delivering, right? Every time you deliver a capability, that creates additional demand and expectations that you can continue to do this. 
And so again, we're looking for more efficient ways to solve not necessarily all of these problems, but a subset of these problems. What you're really trying to do is bring that technology into an environment where people can learn about it, people can test it, people can POC around it, and understand in the context of your business, in the context of your skill set. Isaac mentioned testing. Now, after all these talk about what low-code can and can't do, I'm curious myself how to get my hands on the product. I like to learn through practice. Mendex does have a big trial offer that you can use by checking out our website but please stick around until the end of the podcast to try it. You might see a platform release a capability today and say, you know what, it doesn't meet our requirements, but they continue to invest in it. They continue to make it scalable. They continue to add more capabilities around it. In six months, you're saying, you know what, we're able to go start using this. All valid points. That's the proof of concept stuff that Isaac talked about back in episode one. I remember the analogies to chocolate fountains. I think, you know, we tend to think of POCs as a one and done. You know, we use them for technology selections. I think of POCs as an evolving practice. We're continually testing. We're continually experimenting. In Agile, we use the term spike, right? And a spike is just a way of saying, you know what? We've never done this before. Let's, before we work on the business requirement, test out the technical capabilities. So the spike is something like a minimum viable product. Exactly. And that's something Isaac advocates for. An MVP can really help people who want to test the capabilities and restrictions of low code before they use it company-wide. We're always looking to see whether a tech can simplify the user experience in some way, whether it can provide an integration uh, capability, whether it can improve productivity. How does it enable us to provide ongoing enhancements? And again, there are times when I'm looking to use ProCode. There's times where I think my team has all the capabilities in-house to do some of this software development, but I'm always looking as the person, as a CTO, I'm looking a couple horizons down the road and saying, where can we be more productive? Where can we be more efficient? Where can we reduce technical debt? Where can we take an application that we developed two or three years ago that is still used in the business, but we don't have the wherewithal to re-engineer it, to refactor it, to be cloud enable it, but we want to make it available to the cloud. So how do we accelerate this? Yeah, I, I think it's a good point, right? The full code will never go away. It's I think the marketing sometimes can say that, but it's really just a tool to make your life easier. There are fields that have traditionally bought technologies. They've never built technologies out. You know, they might have somebody in IT who's built software to connect the dots or, or to configure something. And now all of a sudden, you know, we're being asked to build mobile applications. We're building an onboarding experience for our hybrid workers that's going to connect to our HR system and our finance system. And is low code a 70, 80, 90% answer, maybe even a 100% answer for that organization that never developed applications to. And quite frankly, Michael, there there may be a good set of scenarios where it is 100% because they've never developed applications. They're never going to go hire .NET, Java, PHP developers to go solve problems. They're just going to say, you know what, we're providing a platform so that we can enable this capability in our organization. That's where I see that use case happening. But if I have a development capability like the CTO has, I don't think anybody really suggests that they should wipe it out. So if I was worried that low code is trying to be all things to all people, what question should I be asking myself? Isaac listed the essential three. 
It's where does it provide advantage? Where are you seeing the innovation deliver value? And where can you accelerate in other areas that you can't reach because your team is occupied with the most strategic things and you want to do things in other areas, whether it's move something to the cloud or modernize something or provide back office functionality or integrate data into a, into a data warehouse, all these things that we can't get to. And maybe that's the 70% for an organization like the CTO has. The power is in delivering capabilities that really enable businesses to excel with data and technology. I think we recognize that our businesses, what we do today, not just in terms of operating, but the products that we sell, the types of environments that we work in, the geographies that we work in, the regulation, they're all evolving very, very quickly. Wow, they are evolving quickly. You know, I feel it myself that need to stay agile and ready for the next business development. And that's the real difficulty. Although technology is everywhere, the average company isn't a major Silicon Valley software development house. They don't have the breadth, depth of platforms, of talent, of skills, and they're looking for ways to accelerate and say, well, how do I help the CEO do what they're reading or what they used to read in the, on the airplane and see all this technology capabilities? How do I do that? when I don't have the talent 100%, or maybe I do and they're working in certain areas and I don't want to pull them off those areas, I want to expand my skill set. And for 20 years, I've been doing that with low-code platforms. And so I'm glad to see that more companies are looking at this option. I think it's actually been one of the benefits of coming out of, of uh, COVID is that more companies are recognizing, I need to build specialty applications, I need to build applications just in time for a business scenario. And they're recognizing that a six, nine, 12, 18 month development cycle isn't going to cut it anymore. We need to find ways to get to that MVP faster and get feedback faster. And this is, you know, low code Swiss army knife as a starting point to being able to do that. Right. I think I've got it, Michael. To solve our final bittersweet case, I would say, you're right. Low-code is not the answer to everything. However, it will help you get to the products you need to build faster. And it will keep you agile to the world of business that is increasingly focused on technology. That's it. Woohoo! Ah, Michael, the very last episode. If I may say, it has been a real journey. Yoga classes, plane rides, electrokinetic vice presidents. I like that we came full circle to the candy manufacturer from episode one. Hey, have we got any candy left from then? Candy left in my house is left at its own risk. That's fine. I'm sure Wonderworks will have some trial candy. On to our next adventure. Thanks so much again for joining us today. We've been busting one myth a week, and this is our very last episode. If this is the first one you listened to, why not join us on all the other cases we solved? And if you've already listened to all of them, go back and listen to them all over again. We won't tell if you don't. Remember that you can sign up on the Mendex website for a free trial of the platform. You can find us at mendex.com. And if you'd prefer to talk to us about your project, we'd love to hear from you. Find all our details once again on Mendex.com. That's all. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts. <laughs>